1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, now we pray that you would help us as we think about your word and can consider what you have said here through your apostle, Paul, and uh, we ask, Father, that uh, as we meditate on these words, that you would do the work that is necessary in our hearts, that we would have faith, that we would have hope and love for you and your people. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, this week I received an email from an old friend, uh, Alita Wester. She'll be 91 next month, and uh, she wrote to thank and to encourage me after she read my recent article about praying for young people. Uh, Alita and her late husband, Merle, were lifelong members of the church that I used to serve uh, in Iowa, and uh, she gave me an update on what's going on with her and her family, and uh, of course asked how we were doing, you know, normal things. She then asked how she could pray for me, and she reminded me of her regular practice of interceding for others daily. She has a list of uh, different people, and she prays for those people each day, family members, uh, fellow church members, missionaries, pastors, neighbors, and, and many friends, and gospel workers, especially in the Congo where she and Merle used to serve as missionaries. Uh, She reminded me that I am on her list on the 16th day of each month. So every month since I first became her pastor, Alita has been praying for me and my family on the 16th. Now, missionaries like Alita may be more aware of the need for prayer than anyone else in the church. They know what it's like to be on the front lines. They've come face to face with the reality of the kingdom of darkness in the world, and they know the only way to break through the gates of that kingdom is through the spiritual work of God that's fueled by the prayers of the church. Missionaries like the Apostle Paul know that we are at war. They know that we are utterly dependent upon the resources that only God can supply to us from heaven. And so they pray. And they depend upon the prayers of the church for the Lord to then supply those needs. 
They know that this battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And for over 40 years, Merle and Alita saw the incredible work that God did among the people of the Congo in Africa. They saw many lives saved out of animism and paganism to worship the one true God through Jesus Christ, the Lord. They saw light break through the kingdom of darkness. Alita is so convinced that God works through the prayers of his people that she continues to pray for missionaries, for churches, and for those who are still in the darkness, now even into her her, her 90s. And it is my hope, my prayer this morning, that after this sermon, we will be convinced of our need to devote ourselves to prayer in much the same way, both corporately, that is together, and personally in our own lives. For if Stanton Evangelical Free Church is to ever experience the power of the grace of God in transformed lives and strong, mature, growing disciples, well, brothers and sisters, we must devote ourselves to praying for God's blessing on us. So our main theme then from this passage is that the church is to be actively praying for the proclamation and the promotion of the gospel among all people. So the structure uh, of our text hangs on Paul's use and concern for all people in this text. It's like his references to all people are the hooks on which the points of these verses are hung. Uh, We see his concern for all people throughout the passage from verse 1 all the way then to verse 7 there with his mention of the Gentiles, which um, is also a reference to all people, that is, all people outside of the world of the nation uh, of Israel. Uh, So we'll look through the passage using these four headings then. Um, Number one, the church must pray for all people, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, God desires salvation for all people, verses 3 and 4. Third, Christ Jesus is the Savior for all people. Verse 5 and 6, and then fourthly, the gospel must be proclaimed to all people there in verse 7. So this is a word for the church. Paul is giving this, this message for the church, therefore it directly applies then to our local church, that we must be actively praying for the proclamation and the promotion of the gospel among all people. So there, number one, verses 1 and 2, the church must pray for all people. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So it seems there in verse 1 that Paul is at the beginning of an important list of items that he wants the church to be doing. Uh, let's remember that the, right in the middle of this letter, that's in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul shows us there just what his purpose is for writing this letter. 
He says there, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Therefore, Paul says here then, chapter one or chapter two, verse one, first of all, first of all then, the church is to pray for all people. So for the Apostle Paul, prayer within the churches, either as an important element within their worship gatherings or as a regular practice that they are to do corporately as well as personally, it is a top priority. It is, it is not to be neglected. It is not to be pushed out for lack of time. Prayer is, <coughs> Paul's saying, <coughs> must be a priority. So Paul uh, describes prayer here then in four different ways. He says in verse 1, supplications, which are specific petitions, uh, requests, and then prayers, this general term for, for prayers, praying, and then intercessions, which are appeals on behalf of others, and then thanksgivings. Those are the four different ways that Paul uh, lists out how we are to pray. He then provides a subject for our prayers. He said, for all people. So now that's a, that's a pretty broad group of folks, if you think about it, that we are to be praying for. Pray for all people. And he uses this all people, of course, throughout this paragraph, as we, we already noted. So we got to think, well, what, is, what does Paul mean by all people? Pray for, for all people. Does he mean every single individual in the world? Make sure you're praying for every single individual in the world without exception? Well, that would be next to impossible for churches to do. I mean, we couldn't even do that for every single individual in our small town. I think he's being more general here when he says all people, as in all sorts of people, all kinds of people. All classes of people. Here's, here's why I think so. Oftentimes the Bible will use this description, all, in reference to people in a way that simply means all kinds of people or a great many different people. For example, in our, in our last series in the book of Luke, so Luke uh, chapter 21, um, Luke tells us that, uh, that Jesus taught in the temple in Jerusalem each day of the week prior to his crucifixion. Uh, and then in verse 38, Luke describes who is coming to the temple to listen to him. And this is what he says there in Luke uh, 21, 38. He says, and early in the morning, all the people, which is the same Greek phrase that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now, did did Luke mean every single last person in Jerusalem, without exception, was getting up early and making the trek to the temple in order to crowd into the temple in order to, to listen to Jesus teach? Every single last person, without exception. Is that, is that what Luke meant? Was, was Pilate and his entourage doing this? Was each Roman soldier serving under Pilate, doing this, abandoning their, 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 their guard posts in order to come to listen to, to Jesus teach? What about every, 
servant boy who was in charge of feeding the livestock in their households? Did, did they leave their duties and come hear Jesus teach? Did, did all the moms in Jerusalem wake each of their children up early, including infants and toddlers, and, and get them all ready and, and bring them all to the temple early in the morning to hear Jesus teach? No, I, I think it's pretty obvious that that's not what, what Luke meant. We are, we are not meant to think that every last human being, without exception, in Jerusalem was coming to hear Jesus teach in the temple. What, what Luke wrote, when, when, when Luke wrote all the people, he meant all sorts of different people were coming to hear him. And there were a great num- uh, number of them. All kinds of different people were coming to hear Jesus teach. I think that's what Paul, Paul also means in this uh, verse. Pray all sorts of prayers for all sorts of people. That's what Paul's getting at. Pray all sorts of prayers for neighbors, for friends, as well as enemies. Pray for those who are wealthy and those who are poor. Pray for pastors, for missionaries, and Christian workers, as well as those who have not yet heard the gospel. Pray for those who are enslaved in false religions and those who are under the devil's deception. Pray for those who have hardened hearts and those who are willingly obeying Christ. We see that that is what he means in verse 2 when he says, for kings and all who are in high positions. That is, these are the kinds of people that the church ought to be praying for regularly. Of course, when, when, when Paul wrote this, the ruler of the Roman Empire was Nero, Emperor Nero, a wicked narcissistic, violent ruler who was famous for killing Christians. The church was to pray for him and all who were in high positions then. Now for us, of course, that means President Joe Biden, who has shown himself to be much more antagonistic towards the biblical Christian faith than any other president in our nation's history. That's clear. Yet we are called to pray for him and others whom God has given authority over us. And let's not forget, it is God who has ultimately placed them in those positions of authority. So the goal then for our prayers for rulers is in order for the church to live in peace and be able to serve and please God. We are to pray for those in authority so that Christians will be able to worship and witness and evangelize. When we pray for our missionaries, who are trying to make disciples in in other nations. We ought to pray also for the rulers and the governments of those nations that the gospel would be able to to be spread throughout their people unhindered. So pray all sorts of prayers for all sorts of people, particularly for those who are in authority, knowing that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Proverbs 21 Verse 1. Next, verses 3 and 4, God desires salvation for all people. Desires salvation for all people. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When the church makes uh, praying for all sorts of people a priority, it can be assured that they are doing something that pleases God. For God is our Savior And he desires all sorts of people to be saved. This indicates to us that that all people are in need of salvation. 
We are in need of being rescued. For so many people, it sure may not seem like it, though. I mean, they, they seem to be doing just fine. If you, if you talk to them about being saved, they may say, saved? Saved from what? And Paul, of course, assumes that Timothy and the Christians reading this know why all people need salvation. But just to be clear, we find in chapter 5, verse 24, Paul provides us with the answer. He says there, the sins of some people are conspicuous, that is obvious, clearly seen, and they are going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So he just mentions there that there is this coming judgment where we will will be judged for our sins against God. God's aware of our sins. Our sins are going before us to, to, to judgment, and there we will face him and have to give a response for those sins. And since we are all sinners, we all need to be saved from that coming judgment. Our guilt will go before us. So if we are to be saved, something will have to be done about our guilt before God. And the person we will need salvation from is that mighty, holy, and just judge who is God himself. So the amazing thing that we see here in this passage, in 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, is that the mighty judge, the one whom we will all face in judgment, is God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the one for whom we are in desperate need of being saved from, the one who can condemn us to hell for our sins, is also the one who is our Savior and desires that we be saved from condemnation. So hallelujah, glory be to our great God. That is who he is, our judge and our Savior. And again, Paul is using this this all people here, not for every single last person who has ever lived without exception, but all kinds of different people. He's making the point to this church that God desires both Jews and Gentiles to be saved, both free and slave, both men and women, both youth and adults, those who are poor and those who are wealthy. He wants all kinds of people to be saved, not just Americans, but also Asians, Africans, people from all nations, not just Nebraskans, but also Iowans, not just Huskers, but also a few Hawkeyes, not just Evangelical Free Church people, but people from all sorts of religious backgrounds. He wants all kinds of people to be saved. And and we know that that, that, that God's desire for this will be fulfilled because we read Revelation 7, 9, and 10, of a vision of who will be in heaven gathered around the throne. It's something we ought to always have in mind. It says there, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God desires all kinds of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
And here's why Paul is so concerned about what is being taught in the churches. Here is why he wants churches to take so seriously and stop anyone from teaching a different doctrine than what is faithful to the New Testament gospel. It is because in order to be saved, one must come to know and understand the truth. That is the gospel. That means the gospel is something that must be taught. It must be explained. It must be taught and explained accurately. And if it isn't, if churches neglect this duty, if they stray away from the gospel, well then sinners won't come to the knowledge of the truth and they won't be saved. When I went to serve as a Bible camp counselor at Hidden Acres in Iowa in the summer of 1995, I was uh, 21 years old, and uh, during uh, the staff training week, one of the veteran senior counselors, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan who had served at camp for uh, several years before me, he took upon himself to interview each of the new first-year counselors coming in, and I remember sitting across uh, from him at a picnic table uh, under a shade tree by the lodge and having to explain to him my understanding of the gospel. And he challenged me. Who or what do we need to be saved from? Is there anything we can do to earn our salvation? Come on, there's got to be something, right? Do we really have to repent of our sin? What verse in the Bible do you find that answer from? Kind of, kind of grilling me. Never experienced that before. Why did he do this? Well, because Jonathan was so enthusiastic about sharing the gospel that he wanted every kid that came to camp to hear the gospel and to come to the knowledge of the truth, to be saved. Therefore, he made sure that the gospel that each counselor would be teaching to their campers was the truth that, if believed, would save them. In order to be saved, we must come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5, 5, and 6, and we see that Christ Jesus is a Savior for all people. He's a Savior for all people. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. There's only one God. This is the bedrock truth of what the Old Testament teaches about God. We, we, we've been memorizing Deuteronomy 6.4 recently. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we see here in 1 Timothy that the New Testament follows the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's testimony, it's teaching about God, about the Lord. There is one true God. And in the context of humanity's need for salvation... Paul is saying there is only one God to whom all people are accountable. There is only one God whom all people must stand before in judgment. And there's only one God who is able to save. He's the one God for all people. And God d d declares this through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 45, 21 and 22, where he says, There is no other God besides me, a righteous God, and a Savior, 
There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So whether you are from Stanton or, 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 or Norfolk, whether you are predominantly uh, from a Christian nation or from a Muslim nation, whether you, your ancestors worshipped Mary or they worshipped the moon, there's only one God for all of humanity. Only one God for all of humanity to worship and to serve. He is the God for all people because he's the only God there is. And he calls out all people, calls out to all people, all kinds of people throughout the world to come to him and be saved. But we are all sinners. We, 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 we are wicked before him. So in order to come to this holy, righteous God, we are in great need of a mediator. We are in great need of someone to come between us, to be able to, to place one hand on, on us, on man, and one hand on the eternal God in order to make peace. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. Now, a mediator is one who, who brings about reconciliation between two parties who are otherwise in conflict or at war. And Jesus Christ is, of course, the perfect mediator, for he is the God-man. He, he bridges the gap between the creator and the creature. Jesus is truly God and therefore able to meet God's holy standards. And he is truly human, therefore he can fully represent uh, humanity before God the Father. Jesus is the only one who has both a divine nature and a human nature as he was born of woman and yet with a divine origin. He's able to represent and reconcile sinful man to God because he has the most intimate sympathy with both parties. As the Son of God, he is a member of the divine uh, Trinitarian union of Father, Son, and Spirit. And as a member of the human race, being made like us in every respect and tempted in every way as we were, yet was without sin, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses and has, has become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for our sins. So therefore, as, as God's word tells us there in Hebrews, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That, my friends, is why we pray. And when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. We can only come before God the Father through our mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. And we can be confident that when we come and confess our sins before the Holy God in Christ's name, that we can and we will be forgiven. For our mediator, as it says, has given himself as a ransom for all sorts of sinners like us on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, dying for us in our place. He won for us our forgiveness and our freedom and our place beside the Father in the kingdom of heaven. Now Christ had to be both God and man to be our mediator, but he also had to be both God and man to pay this ransom, to make this payment of his life in order to satisfy the justice of God. Uh, in, in his famous work, uh, 
why God became man, or the Latin cur deus homo, uh, Anselm, the Bishop of Canterbury in the early 12th century, uh, explained it this way. He said, salvation could not have been done unless man paid what was owing to God for sin. But the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. So that same person must be both man and God. Thus it was necessary for God to take manhood into the unity of his person so that he who in his own nature ought to pay and could not, that's us, should be in a person who could. Christ Jesus paid the debt. He paid the price that only sinful man could owe and only God could pay. And he did at the proper time. Jesus Christ is the one mediator who is the Savior for all, for he is the only Savior. Therefore, therefore salvation is in Jesus Christ, and it is an all-inclusive salvation. All kinds of people can and will be saved through Jesus. Again, Jews, Gentiles, Americans, Africans, Europeans, Asians, people of the land, people of the islands, people who grow up going to church, people who are currently have never been to church, young people, old people, all are invited, all can come and be saved through Jesus Christ. As it says in verse 4, if they come to the knowledge of the truth. So there, 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 there it is. The gospel is inclusive, yet it's also exclusive. For although all can be saved through Christ, people can only be saved if they come to Christ by faith. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one can come to God the Father except through him. He's the one mediator between God and man. Therefore, as it says in verse 7, the gospel must be proclaimed to all people. The gospel must be proclaimed to all people. For this I was appointed a, pro- a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So here, now in verse 7, Paul doesn't use the same language, that he, that, but, but, but he's making the same point. He explains, for this, that is, that, that, that is for this reason, I was appointed a preacher. Now, don't think pastor here. The word means a herald, a proclaimer, one who proclaims news. And an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the concluding statement for this passage. Because God desires all kinds of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And because there is one God for all and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, therefore Paul was appointed to go to the Gentiles. That is, all the people of the world to proclaim and to teach this gospel of salvation through Christ. There is one God, one Savior, one gospel for all, and this gospel must be proclaimed to all. But the church has never been able to proclaim the gospel without great opposition. We are in a battle. Satan is not going to allow his kingdom to be invaded and plundered without a fight. And that is why we 
must pray. First John calls Satan the deceiver of the whole world. Sinners' eyes must be open to the truth, and only God can do that work by his spirit. But he uses means. He accomplishes his work through the prayers and the preaching of his people. He invites us to be involved in that work. Therefore, we must pray, and we must send, and some of us must go. One old pastor wrote this. He said, the concern for world evangelization is not something tacked on to a man's personal Christianity, which he may take or leave as he so chooses. It is rooted in the character of the God who has come to us in Christ Jesus. Thus, it can never be the province of a few enthusiasts, a sideline or a specialty of those who happen to have a bent that way. It is the distinctive mark of being a Christian. So, Christian, are you concerned for world evangelization? Stanton Evangelical Free Church, are we concerned for the eternal souls of those who have never heard of God, never heard that that God sent us the Savior, and that Jesus is the only way to be saved from hell? Are we concerned? Charles Spurgeon was known to have asked his congregation, the great question is not, will not the heathen be saved if we do not send them the gospel, but are we saved ourselves if we do not send them the gospel? If we are concerned for them, then we'll pray. We will pray. That's that's what we'll do. As the old hymn goes, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. Where other lords beside thee hold their unhindered sway, where forces that defied thee defy thee still today, with none to heed their crying for life and love and light, unnumbered souls are dying and passing into the night. So stand free church, let us devote ourselves to prayer. Let this drive us to our knees, to prayer, that God would send out workers into his harvest field, that God would open their eyes to see the glory of Christ, that that he would grant them ears to hear and minds to understand the gospel of salvation, and may we do battle in this room May we do battle in our, in our Bible study rooms, in our, in our bedrooms, at our kitchen tables, in our living rooms. May we cry out to God on their behalf with all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do come to you and we know our slothful ease keeps us away from praying and from seeking your help to open the eyes of the blind throughout this world, to empower missionaries uh, to proclaim the gospel unhindered. Oh, Lord, we pray for your help. May your spirit come and so work in us and so open our eyes. Lord, I pray for people even here this morning that don't follow you, that, that don't have a concern for you, that, that are not 
concern for the world, Lord, I pray you would work in their hearts that they would leave here changed people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.